With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, Matthew Collar here. We'll get into the show in just a second, but first got to tell you about Abner Maris, a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer he is today. He will discuss the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and his American dream. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Tuesday Morning Left Guard, Matthew Collar, former Minnesota Viking, Jeremiah Searles. Jeremiah, after that offensive line performance, maybe you want to go by former Charger or former Buffalo Bill. Um, I think we have to start with that, right? I think what everyone wants to know is, is it as bad as they think it is at the guard position? Because the previous reaction episodes to the Vikings at Seattle included very long rants from myself, my intern, Courtney Cronin, about the guard position. But you have the more trained eye than us. So when we rage on this podcast and say, what is going on there um are we overreacting are we reacting properly like what what should we think of that yeah you nailed it it's 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 rage time i mean i <laughs> I, I it's gotten to the point matt when i'm coming back and i'm re-watching the tape i'm just watching the guards and i'm like oh i don't know what else happened because i'm so focused on like what is going wrong like i have to re-watch each play like six times because i just be like that's wrong that's wrong like it's just getting to the point of nausea. Like, what are we doing? Why are we continuing to do the same things over and over? Like, I have seen no growth from Drew Samia in the last three weeks, which is what you hope to see from a young player that's struggling, right? Okay, yeah, he's young, he's struggling. Can he grow? 
he's played against some good players. Corey Buckner, you had um oh my gosh, Simmons from Jefferson Simmons, right, yeah. And then you have apparently all pro drawn Reed playing now for the Seattle Seahawks. But I've seen no growth and I'm seeing repeat errors. And that those are the two things that you're just like, okay, this dude just must not have it, or he just doesn't care enough. And I hate saying that because I never think that players don't care. But it becomes a point at one time of a personal pride thing of I'm not going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Like I'm going to fix what I put on tape. I'm going to make them beat me with something else. And I've not seen that from Drew Samia. And like, let's not forget, I have not seen a lot of that out of Dakota Dozier either. And it's frustrating to see that because I do think that this offense is close to, like we talked about last week, exploding. But until you can protect a guy, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, uh, Dakota Dozier actually allowed more pressures in that game than Drew Samia did, and I think that there's a few different questions to ask off of this. And one might be, um, can this team just simply not evaluate the guard position? I, I mean, it's w- pattern of behavior here. I, I think they kind of lucked into, you know, Joe Berger and Nick Easton playing pretty well in 2017. But aside from that, uh, it has been a really rough ride at this position. And I think part of it is when you spend all the way to the edge of the salary cap and you have to pay a bunch of people, your quarterback makes a ton of money, your safeties make a ton of money, your running back makes a ton of money, money now that you have to decide on which positions you're not going to pay. And I think that guard is actually the right position to decide on that, but you have to have it hit on a fourth round pick. You have to have a very cheap free agent come in and give you average play. And in this case, they roll the dice and neither one of those things have played out at all. Um, So it's kind of the question of, can you actually have the ability as a front office and team and coaching staff to identify who can do this and who can actually play guard at a fairly cheap price? And then there's the question of, like, did you know that it was going to be this bad if Samir played why is he still playing and the plan all along was Dakota Dozier and not Ezra Cleveland what does that say about Ezra Cleveland if Dakota Dozier is also one of the worst PFF graded guards in the NFL and your guy that you switch from guard from tackle to guard as a second round draft pick can't see the field so I think there's just like a lot of different things to ask here yeah, and one of my one thing I'm kind of tired of the Vikings doing is drafting tackles and being like, oh, you're going to play guard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go draft a guard. Go draft a good freaking guard that's coming out of college, that is a guard and knows the position, can be a day one, come in and play, and not this, like, adjustment period. Because like, I think we talked on the first episode, the jump from college to NFL is already astronomical in the speed of the game, the physicality of the game and everything, and then you throw a position switch on top of that, you're asking this kid to fail and not see the field for first year strictly off of just not being technique fun, uh, fundamentals, technique, speed, all of it just being too much for a young kid to handle. I don't care if you're a second-round pick or not. There's the elite of the elites that did it. You look at, like, Zach Martin, right? Probably the best guard in football, played left tackle at Notre Dame. You start looking at these things, and you're like, okay, we're just going to do what Zach Martin did. Well, not everyone's Zach Martin. Like, you can't think that everyone's going to be able to make that adjustment so easy and so simple and so flawlessly. So I think that's probably start number one is like, hey, if we need a guard, go draft a guard. Go go find a guard that you think – I mean, I think of Cesar Ruiz that was there 
um, out of Michigan. Like, I think he was still there when the Vikings picked. I could be wrong. But I think that there was enough good guards in this draft that if you knew that was going to be a weak spot, why waste a pick on a tackle unless you had no point of playing him at tackle? If you knew what going through the pre-draft process, like, hey, we're going to draft this guy and he's going to play guard, I don't understand that. The second piece is, as far as the free agent piece coming in, I wonder if they were just like, you know, we got to get through one more year of Pat F line. We got to get through one more year of this salary cap hell that the mm-hmm. announcers loved using on TV like a hundred times. I know, right? Which wasn't even really true because they it were really able to like it. trade for Ngakwe and also yeah. sign Delvin Cook and so forth. But <laughs> so, that's I mean, they love to that, but I do think I do think that you nailed it. Like position is going to suffer if you pay your quarterback, your running back, and your safeties a bunch of money. They pick the guard position. That seems to be a revolving door for the Vikings, even since I got there in 2015. I mean, it's just you haven't had a stable guy. You brought in Alex Boone, love the guy, but you thought he was going to be a staple four-year contract. That doesn't work out. You bring in Nick Easton. You think, okay, this guy can do it. We're going to tender him this year. Breaks his neck, right? I mean, just like crazy things like that have happened. And so you're looking – I think they're just grasping at straws at this point. But I think this team is really stuck at the guard position because they just don't know what to do. I don't know if you have enough. Do you have enough money to go buy one of these guys off the street that's still around? I mean, or is it truly salary cap is so tight that you're just kind of hoping to make it through the year without having to sign anyone else? And it's just frustrating to watch because – and I saw someone tweet us. It's like, we're two guards and a tight end and something away from being a Super Bowl. I was like, okay, well, first of all, it's every team in the NFL that can say that. So. <laughs> But I, in this case, I think we are two guards away from being a top 10 offense. Yeah. And yeah. that, I think, is fair to say. Yeah. And the thing that's frustrating about that is that I think that there were answers to having those guards, whether it was drafting an actual guard, and I want to circle back to this, so don't let me forget on the, wait a minute, if you knew he was going to be a guard, then why did you draft him in the second round, which is really high for someone who's just going to be a guard, unless he's an unbelievable guard, which clearly he's not. So there's some questions to ask about that particular thing. But that you go back to when they released Josh Klein, and he hasn't been signed, so I think this might be injury-related. His career might just be over. Um, But when you release Josh Klein, you needed an answer there. And the answer seems to always be, well, let's just move somebody from a different position to somewhere. And and it was, let's just slide Elfline over there and move in Dakota Dozier, who, by the way, couldn't handle the job when he was in there last year. And uh, respect to any journeyman lineman, uh, this podcast appreciates journeyman linemen who can play a lot of different positions. So much respect to Dakota Dozier for having a career, but this is not a thousand snap player. This is a break glass in case of emergency type of player. And so there was always the option of, okay, you drafted a tackle, you move Riley reef into guard maybe, or something, uh, not, not a great idea, but it's gotta be better than this. Uh, or you sign Ron Leary or you sign whoever. Uh, I saw a Semele got hurt the other day, but he was in playing both knees. Yeah. He blew tendons in both knees. Oh, yeah, so, so maybe that's one that I can't go back and say, hey, why didn't you sign that guy? But, um, you know, the off-the-kind off of scrap-heap type of player has got to be a lot better than what they're getting. And even with Elfline, his first week was pretty rough because he's changing positions. So it's just kind of, you know, it goes back even to the Mike Remmers thing, where Remmers is a fine right tackle. He's okay. He'll give you 
average or a little below average right tackle play. He's a terrible right guard. I mean, because he had not played there ever before. And it's just all of a sudden, hey, let's move this guy. Let's shuffle that guy. Not everyone is Jeremiah Searles and could play all five positions. I mean, that it's just this constant thing. And I've gotten to the point where I'm like, is this a thing where it's the uh, death and taxes and Vikings keep moving positions on players that you're baffled about? Like, it's just a reality for the rest of our lives that on this podcast we'll always be ranting about what they're doing on the line. Um, so let me, but let me ask you about the Ezra Cleveland thing a little more. If you draft someone in the second round who even had some projections as a first-round tackle by some draft analysts and you immediately move him to guard, I need an explanation. Like what happened? What did you see? And why did you draft him if in the second, if he was only going to be a guard? I, that's one I am just completely baffled by. It, it, for me, I completely agree. I, I looked at that pick when I saw that they drafted Ezra Cleveland in the second round. I go, okay, Riley's out. Literally. That was the first thing that went to my mind. Okay. Cap casualty. He's making too much money. They're drafted a kid in the second round. If you're drafted the way, here's how I break down the draft. First, second, third round, you are looked at as a contributor year round, year yep. one. Yep. Contributor, yep. like a main piece. Four, five, six, drafts four. I'm banging on tables and stuff over. I'm getting all the way. Yep, yep. You're breaking five, the rules. The hands are four, five, up six, off and the seven. Yeah. Four and five are pure developmental role piece players your first year in the league. Six and seven, you might as well be on practice squad. You're a pure development special teams hoping to make the roster and contribute and be active on game day. So if you draft a guy in the second round, he needs to contribute, or it's a wasted draft pick in my opinion. And so if you draft this guy and say, okay, here's our plan for him. We're going to move him to guard. He's going to start at left guard. Great. But what in your mind and what did you see that told you no matter what he could do that? I don't remember watching him play guard in college. I don't think he ever played guard in college. It's a different animal you will play guard. It really is. And so I think that you look at that, I think they did the same thing to Willie Beavers. And they said, hey, you know what? You played really good at left tackle. You're going to play guard. And it ruins development, and it can really derail entire careers. Because you go in as your second-round pick, and all of a sudden you're labeled a bust. You start thinking, oh, man, I didn't do something right, or your development's slow, or you just don't have it because you're getting harped on. People are saying you can't do this, can't do that, and then you start thinking you can't. And so I just don't understand the move by them unless they truly believe that, hey, you know what, we're solid on our depth inside with Drew Samia, and hopefully we can get Ezra Cleveland kind of ramped up with this short offseason that we had. Like, let's get him ramped up, and then hopefully by week four, five, six, he's starting. I could see that being the goal, but if that's the case, he should be getting at least some snaps at this point of the year. Like, what's the worst thing that happens? Unless you truly think he's going to go in there and get Kirk Cousins hurt. Like, that that has to be, in my mind, that is the sole reason an offensive lineman does not play, is A, you think he you can't trust him to go out there and not make mental assignments, which – Dozier, Bradbury, and uh, Samia all had plenty of this last game, I'll tell you that. And you think he's going to get your quarterback hurt. So I just – it's mind-blowing. You nailed it on the head. Like, you don't understand it, and maybe they have a long-term game here that we're just not seeing, and maybe they're just like, you know what, you're going to take over for Riley next year, and we want you to be able to be cross-trained and play guard if you have to, but we really do think you're a tackle. But 
I don't know. Like, I think he's sitting in limbo. And if I'm him and I'm sitting in that meeting room, I'm sitting and I'm knocking on my coach's office going, like, how much more of this do I have to watch before I get a chance? Right. Like, how much more are you going to make me sit here and watch before I can get at least a chance to try and prove to you I can do better than that? And I think if I'm his agent, I'm calling the Vikings and saying, do you guys know him? He's a tackle. Why are you playing him at guard? Like, you didn't even give him a chance to be a tackle. You immediately moved him to guard. And, of course, if I'm his agent, I'm like, long-term earning potential, a lot better at uh, tackle if you could. Uh, and if there was a year to have a guy uh, work his way in slowly behind uh, Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill as a swing tackle potentially for this year, it was probably now. And especially where you're at with the upcoming trade deadline, you could potentially move Riley Reef, which is, a, I think, something they have to do uh, considering he's very unlikely to be here next year but I think that it's Rashad who's going to play and probably not Ezra Cleveland because they haven't trained him at tackle at all so the door was open the path was there to you know if things didn't go well to move Riley or have him train behind Riley and then you know, eventually take over next year or take over at some point this year or you know that Riley's going to get banged up at some point you know, he gets in at two, three games and see how he does. But that just seemed to be never their plan from the very beginning. It was from the very start of camp. His first reps are at guard. He never took reps anywhere else. And Gary Kubiak said, oh, well, we're just, you know, kind of working him in at guard. But that wasn't what they did. They played him at guard as if we're moving your position. And this position moving thing, it just, tell me when it's worked. Like, Afadi Adenabo suddenly becomes a defensive tackle. But he's not really a defensive tackle. He's a defensive end. So you cut him because he wasn't a good defensive tackle, but then you bring him back. He's a defensive end again. It's like, well, which is it? Jalen Holmes do the same thing. James Lynch, they're doing the same thing. And it's like, do you guys get this? That once you start fiddling around with someone's position that they've played for their whole life, that you set them behind in their development. And it's like, they almost always end up going back to where the guy originally was anyway. And so, I, yeah, this is one that I don't get. And it seems like, if you're going to only have him as a guard, you wasted a second round pick. You just lit a second round pick on fire. Unless he's like, like you said, unless he's a Zach Martin, you lit the second round pick on fire. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, and I think everyone is searching for that next Zach Martin, right? Everyone wants the next like incredible guard. You see, I mean, if you have a very good guard, and I mean, you talking the elites, I mean, Osemele when he was in Baltimore was crazy good, right? And he was a tackle in college. And then you got Zach Martin, who's a tackle in college. And then you got, I mean, you got freaking Quentin Nelson, who's just built to play football. I mean, God crafted his back and said, <laughs> I mean, and but you, I think everyone's searching for that and everyone's just hoping that they find that. But I feel like that's a diamond in the rough and that should be a scouted out like, hey, we know this guy can play guard off of something. Mm-hmm. I don't think they did that with Ezra Cleveland. I don't think they did that with Willie Beavers. I don't think they've done that with anyone that they've just said, hey, go play guard. I mean, they did it with Epline, who played center, and they're like, hey, go play guard. Granted, he did it a little bit in college, but that's not why they drafted him. The dude won the Remington because he was the best center in college football. Like, I just, I, it's mind-blowing. And I think the big reason is, and I think that every time you've had a guy have to move, usually it's based off injury, right? Usually it's catastrophic, like this dude's done for the year. We need to get someone in here. We didn't have that this year. There yeah, wasn't this, like, all of a sudden, like, hey, our starter, our our guy went down scramble mode. It was like they scrambled mode from the beginning. 
Yep. Like they just like threw everything in there and started stirring from the beginning. Like, all right, Pat, you go to the left. Dozer, you go from here. Bradbury, we're thinking about moving Riley inside. It's like we're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And at this point, nothing's sticking. I mean, I think Brian O'Neill's play is suffering because he's playing next to Drew Smith. Mm-hmm. And I hate harping on the guy, but it's it's so obvious when you actually watch the film how tough it is. I mean, there's times where I mean O'Neill's trying to come scoop a guy on the backside, and Samia did nothing, so O'Neill looks like crap, and it's it's really hampering Garrett Bradbury's development. Garrett Bradbury looks like crap, and that's a lot because he has no help on either side of it. Yep. And so not only when you move guys' positions, you're talking about putting those guys behind the eight ball. You're putting people around them behind the eight ball. You're putting people all over the offense. You think that the receivers can develop better because the line can't protect? Like, it's a completely all 11, all, like, working together. And so you start putting cogs in the machine in different spots. You're hampering everyone's ability to get better. You're hampering the offense's ability to take the next step. And you're hampering the team's ability to win. And so you just look at that. It's a compounding effect year after year, play after play, game after game, that I don't know how you stop the snowball from going downhill. I don't know if there's an answer in the 2020 season for this Vikings offensive line. I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, All their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. By the way, use promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And the worst part is that it was foreseeable, that you and I talked about the potential for Bradbury's growth to be stunted I mean, months ago when we first kind of got together, that that was one of the questions. Hey, if these guards really suffer, then what's going to happen here? And it's exactly come to fruition. And the point on Elfline is a good one, where Elfline has a really good 2017 season for a rookie, and then he gets a couple of really devastating injuries, and they bail very quickly on that, as opposed to saying, well, it was the injuries. Why don't we see how this plays out? They bail. They draft a center in the first round, which if you draft a center in the first round, The guy better be Travis Frederick. He better be a game changer for your entire offense. And that just hasn't been what Garrett Bradbury is. And even if he does develop, the ceiling on him is probably not an Alex Mack completely dominant center. So you kind of miss there too, even if he becomes like a reasonably decent player going forward because of what you spent in terms of draft capital. So their answer has been, hey, you know what? We we should just like draft these guys higher. Okay, right. That generally works. But if you're not using the right positional value and you're drafting a guard in the second and a center in the first and they're not game changers, then you've really put yourself in a tough position going forward. So this thing, I'll tell you one quick, just quick anecdote, and then we can actually talk about some other stuff here, Um, which is uh, I remember in I think it was preseason 2017 maybe where we were in a meeting with Rick Spielman. He was talking to the media and he was saying how TJ Clemmings is actually a guard. It's like, he's like, what you guys don't understand is that he's 
should actually be playing at guard and not tackle, which is funny because in the previous year's end of season, he said, well, what you guys don't understand is Clemmings is actually a right tackle and not a left tackle. I was like, maybe he's nothing because he's awful. Like, it's just this whole thing of, well, we'll see if we just move in positions, then it'll be fine. Like, that's not, it doesn't work that way. And they have not figured that out. So um, can you just break down the fourth and one play? Because you and I both on the internet were fighting with people for days. And when I did the numbers, everyone gets to be right. Like if you kicked a field goal, you had a really high chance to win. If you even miss on fourth down there, you still have a really high chance to win. You just blew it on defense on fourth down. Like that's why you lost. If you gave it back to him with an eight point lead, you probably also blow it and probably also lose. So uh, anyway, but, but I think it's interesting what happened on the fourth down play, because the biggest question was, why did you run behind the guard that we've been ranting about for three days? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the way the play is set up is it, it's an interesting way. So, I mean, I'm not going to try and get too football in here, but they ran a gap scheme defense, meaning they had two guys. There's a guy in each gap. So there's a defender in both A gaps, both B gaps, and then the linebackers were stacked right behind the B gaps on both these things. So it was a great play call. It was a fantastic play call because if you look at it all the way through, there was going to be a hat for a hat for everyone. And at that point, if you know that you scheme it up right, it then just becomes a we're going to get one yard and win the game and not give Russell Wilson, the MVP of the NFL at this point in time, in my opinion, a chance to go score eight points because guess what? He was going to do it anyway. Like he's that good. Russell's that good that you give him any time on the clock, he's probably going to beat you. So the absolute right decision was we're going to get one yard, leave his butt sitting on the sideline over there and take a knee and ride on home back to Minneapolis. The problem was on this gap scheme play that they ran, they ran a lead strong ISO play here. So it was going to be a down block by the, or the, the center guard and tackle and the play side all had down blocks, which is great leverage for you when you're an offensive lineman. If you can have a down block and aim right at that defenders via his neck, right where his shoulder pads and helmet meet, and just wash him just laterally down the line of scrimmage and just allow no penetration, you're going to get a yard. And so they had the perfect play call on. What happened is we got beat up front physically. Um, You see, first of all, Emmy by Dakota Dozier, he goes the wrong way. He goes right. He should have went left and blocked out on his B-gap defender and his left B-gap. So then that bumps off Bradbury, who's trying to go block to his left. So then the no push on the left A-gap. Samia comes and blocks down and instantly gets creased because he takes poor footwork. He should have stepped with his left foot up and at the defender when really he just pivoted, which gives you no power. So then that stops and actually allows penetration. And then Brian O'Neill, the same thing. The thing that kills me is there's no crowd noise. Like there was no crowd noise. I mean, if this was a normal Seattle fourth and one at home on a Sunday night, you wouldn't have been able to hear yourself think. And so there's no crowd noise. So there's no excuse for not getting off on the snap count. So O'Neal then gets stuffed, and he's in four-body position, which then makes C.J. Ham, who's going to lead up on number 57, the frontside linebacker, it, it makes him bubble and stop his feet, which then immediately makes the running back bubble and stop his feet, and then everything collapses because, like we talked about, the hole's only open for about 0.5 seconds in the NFL before it's gone. And everyone's saying, oh, he should just bounce it outside. Like, if you're running back on fourth and one, you're not thinking, hmm, bounce outside. You're thinking, put my head down and get a yard. And my offensive lineman is not going to be a yard in the backfield. 
And so both the right and left tackle, right tackle and right guard, I mean, O'Neal is not innocent in this play at all. They get blown up. They get penetration, which makes C.J. Ham have to stop and bubble, and the play was dead. I knew it the second I saw C.J. Ham stop his feet. I go, we're not going to get this, as I'm screaming at my television on the Sunday night. <laughs> and, I mean, it was really that simple. The play call was perfect. It was a great play call. C.J. Ham has been knocking the crap out of these linebackers all night. He had a phenomenal game. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal game. If I put a gold star on the game, it would be on C.J. Ham. And you say, okay, we're going to run behind him. And it just didn't happen because we got beat physically. It was nothing to do with scheme. It was nothing to do with that. It was strictly they wanted it more than us up front, and they beat us physically, which is embarrassing and frustrating as an offensive lineman. And that's where the decision that Zimmer makes, I would defend all day, because the execution was not there to get a yard. And, you know, I I might say, QB sneak, there's a 90% play, so maybe you should just do that. But – uh, on that particular play, if they dialed it up to where it was right and all you need to do is get the slightest amount of push and then you've got it, then I think it's a good play call by Zimmer to just go for it and, like you said, keep Russell Wilson off of the field. I mean, it's been fun to debate over the last couple of days, but when your offensive line can't execute to even just get that, then it's hard to look at this team and say, oh, yeah, well, you're going to bounce back and you're going to get back in the playoff race or something like that when those are the situations that winning teams take care of business and at least get that yard, even if you don't have an excellent offensive line. So I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to say about that. Yeah, I mean, so one thing with the, the quarterback sneak thing is every short yardage play, every single one that ever I've installed in my years of being in the NFL or college has a check to a quarterback sneak if the, present, if the defense presents the right opportunity. So in this case, having two A-gap defenders, not a great chance for a quarterback sneak, strictly because they're just going to submarine. And what I mean by that is both defenders just go straight to their knees and just create a pile. And then the linebackers try to come jump over the top. Now, if they were playing, just say they're strictly an under defense and there was an open A-gap, we used to call it converse, like sneakers, right? Haha, <laughs> we're really funny. Ah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We call it converse. So we come up there and go, hey, converse, converse, blue belt. And it was just wedge. Everyone just knew, okay, we're just going right there on the, on the A-gap. And so, I mean, I don't think that – I think that every every single time that we've installed it, they've had that check to it. So, definitely, I guarantee you they had the check here, but it wasn't the right defense. This, like I said, this was the perfect play call for this defense because it gives offensive linemen great angles, and it gives C.J. Ham a free run at a linebacker that he should be able to just literally run and knock the teeth out. And so 100% you make that play call. And I bet you Zimmer makes it again this year because that's who he is. You play the game to win. And if you look at it, you can look at every number. You can look at every stat that you want to. But at the end of the day, that's Russell Wilson. We've seen him do it time and time again. And you just don't even want to let him back on the field. And that's the highest percentage win probability. I don't care. As long as he's sitting on the white lines and not on the green grass, your win probability goes way through the roof no matter what. So I'll defend that to the day I die. I think that that was 100% the right call. Everyone's like, oh, not with this defense or that defense. I don't care what it is. That's the right call every single time, and you will never convince me otherwise. Also, odds of going down scoring a touchdown in under two minutes from the six-yard line are not particularly high. What you need to do is not give up a 39-yard pass down the sideline to DK Metcalf. Like, that's that's what you need to do. Again, execute one play. Execute one play in the red zone where Zimmer's defenses are generally great, but a guy gets beat. So, um, all right, let me just shift a little bit here 
And let me ask you about what now, because I, I wrote this for my website. You're one and four. I tried to figure out any path to the playoffs. It's really tough because it's not just about can you get your record back to wherever. It's also about there's a lot of other teams that are in the middle who have a, a head start on you. Like even the 49ers, things look really bad for them, but they're ahead of you. And, uh, you know, Arizona's ahead of you. These teams that are on the bubble right now, you have to chase them down. Even Philadelphia. Philadelphia looks horrible and they're ahead of you by a half a game. So uh, even though I think that they found some things on offense and defense in that Seattle game, and you don't look at this team based on the last three games and say, well, this team's a laughing stock and they're going to win, you know, two games all year. They have just put themselves in an incredibly difficult position in terms of path to getting back to it. And then you look at the road schedule. You have to go to Lambeau. You have to go to Tampa Bay and play Tom Brady. You have to go to New Orleans and play against Drew Brees, who for one half was washed and then not washed in the second half. Um, so that's still not going to be an easy one. You got to go to Chicago, which you know uh, is hell for the Minnesota Vikings. So it, it's just, it's really, really hard to see. If they had beaten Seattle, then we'd be talking about playoffs, baby. Here they come. Yeah, I think I think what's now is you start building for 2021, and saying that in week five makes me want to puke. It really <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah, it makes me want to puke. But all you can do is start taking it one week at a time, and I think now is where you start looking at younger players. You start looking at Ezra Cleveland. You start looking at some guys that I mean, shoot, James Lynch sighting, right? I mean, we, yeah, we saw, yeah. Zach Russell Wilson on his second play in the NFL. Good for you. Hold on to that one. But I mean, it's one of those things that you've got to start giving guys opportunities so that you start getting them those meaningful reps so that next year they go from that fourth, fifth round, sixth round, like possible like development to a contributor. It's all about how do you get from being someone that's going to be on the sideline to someone that's contributing on game day. And so I think that the what now piece is you kind of just start putting out the fires one day at a time. And you start saying identifying problems and focusing on that problem for that week. And if you do that, maybe the wins start coming. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But you have to start seeing marked improvement. I think that's the biggest thing that I want to see from these guys is how do they get better each and every week. I thought if Adi played better this game, I thought he played better. Um, Ngakwe is still exactly who we think he is. Yep, yep. Um, And, I mean, he's not a bad player. He's not an elite player. He's not a good player. He's just – and so I think that that's it. But as far as the offensive side of the ball, losing Dalvin Cook's going to be interesting, but I hope he's not out long. But I think what you do now is you just start plugging away and kind of screw it, right? Like, let's just go out there and play, and whoever goes out there and performs, like, we're going to play them. Because at this point, what's, what's the worst thing that could happen? Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you 
you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So what's interesting to me is when you start out a season bad and you have a chance to win a few games down the stretch and say get yourself into the in the hunt graphic at least even if you don't have a great chance at making the playoffs there can be a positive energy toward a team now i know that tank people and generally if it, if this team wasn't in this situation i'd be saying tank but they've just got too many good players yeah. um but so tanking is not wrong it's just not possible with this situation so what you're looking for is does Justin Jefferson have more breakout games uh Jeff Gladney played extremely well so does he carry that on and look like your top corner Mike Hughes played really well and if he stays healthy what does that mean like there's so many questions to be answered through the rest of the season that you're focusing on that and if you win games you pull some upsets there's sort of an energy that can build there and excitement for the next season but but um, you have been on the other side of this where you start out great and you fall apart and it is the most miserable thing in the entire world. And I just, I wonder like what you think of the kind of contrast of those two things of how a season can sort of develop where, all right, well, you're one and four. Now you're looking for moral victories the rest of the way and participation trophies, but uh, at least it isn't a collapse from five and oh. <laughs> Yeah, that was a horrible year. Gosh, that sucked. But I think, I think <laughs> one thing one thing that people don't understand or don't – I don't know if they don't understand, but they don't realize is a lot of times when you get in these positions for teams, guys start playing for their jobs. And that's where the energy of good comes from is guys kind of start being like, all right, well, like, I want to keep playing in this league. I want to keep having a job. And if you're not Dalvin Cook or Adam Thielen or Kirk Cousins that's making the Boku Buku Bucks, like you need to ball out. You you need to go and, and play really well. And so that's kind of where that building of that energy can come from an individual basis and bleed over into a team is when you start seeing younger guys or guys that are in contract years or guys that are just good teammates, like pushing forward so that they can get those runs and get those things going. Now the five and O collapse here. Yeah. There was nothing more miserable than that um, because we knew we were a good team, but it just seemed like the wheels came off and we had no answer. Um, and I can remember how miserable that was. And so I know how miserable these guys are because it's the same thing. When you win a couple games in a row, it's great. You start losing a bunch of games in a row, it's the worst. So I think that a big thing here is you can't have diversity or diversification in the locker room of, hey, it's your fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. 
But the problem is it's pretty glaring whose fault it is, and that's when it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and when their fingers start pointing. So I think that that's going to be a big thing that Zimmer has to deal with is how many – there's a lot of big personalities on this team. How do you kind of reel in these big personalities and have the leaders lead and the followers follow? And, and the one bad thing about the guys saying, I need to ball out and do things, you start getting a lot more Chiefs and not enough Indians. <laughs> yeah. These guys are like, screw it, I'm just going to get mine. Right. Like, I'm just going to go out here, I'm just going to get mine. Like, I don't care what you're doing, I'm going to get mine. Does that mean I'm going to blow an assignment to go make a tackle? And then, like, oh, yeah, well, whatever. Like, it, it can compound really quickly. So, trying to keep that all on track. But I think the biggest piece is is you just have to take it one week at a time. You can't look at the record now anymore as a player. Um, as a player, you have to look at it as an oh, no week. And I know that's such a cliche thing. But yeah. if you really do look at it like that from a player, there's still hope. And if the second you lose hope in a season, especially this early in a season, it, you're done for as a player. All right, last thing then. Tell me about how we evaluate the head coach of this football squad the rest of the way then. Because, hey, I always leave the door open for it is the Minnesota Vikings. And if there was any team that would just run the table, because why not? It would be this franchise because you can never predict what – when you think it's the best, it's the worst. And when you think it's the worst, it might be the best. Who knows, right? But uh, that aside, let's say it goes the way we think and they end up 7-9 and nine or 6-10 and 10 or something like that. But uh, how do you evaluate a head coach – during times that are pretty tough here. Yeah, I think you evaluate a head coach on how prepared his team is to play every week. You don't you don't evaluate a head coach that has a really struggling team on wins and losses. I think that's really easy and it's really easy to pigeonhole a coach into that. You 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 evaluate how well a head coach runs his program by how prepared are these guys each and every week to play. Because a head coach can't take a rep for anyone. A head coach can't go out there and make a tackle or throw a football or catch a football. But he can make sure his staff is all locked in mentally and has the team ready. He can make sure his players are locked in mentally. And I think Zim will do that because that's who Zim is. Like Zim is that guy where it doesn't matter if the sky's falling, if the building's on fire, like football is football is football to him. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to have the team prepared. And you just hope that guys buy into that. And you hope that guys continue with that piece because, again, he can only do so much. But I know Zim personally. He'll have them ready to go. He'll have them put in the right spots. Now it comes down from preparation to execution. And that's where the big disconnect is for this team right now is I don't think that they've ever walked out there unprepared. I think every game they've had a game plan. They've wanted to execute their game plan. But the problem is the execution piece, not the preparation. And there's only so much a head coach can do about that besides just pulling players and sticking new players in but then you run the risk of the execution being even worse. So it's a double-edged sword either way you look at it. All right, let's make a vow real quick before we wrap up. I vow to next week not rant about the right or left guard. No, absolutely not. I, I... Good for you. Good for you. Take that vow. I am not making that vow. It's all I watch. It's all I can see. It, it, it consumes my being. I'm not making that vow. I, I would love to hear from some people if you want to tweet me, like other things that you become totally obsessed with like this in your life. Like uh, there is a guy on Twitter, the, the park next to his house was building a gazebo and he hated how the gazebo looked and he became obsessed with the gazebo. And I'm sure we've all had this with neighbors. Like my neighbors had a tree fall down in their backyard in like May and it's still laying there. So every day I'm like, you got to clean up that tree. Like when you know, it's like the same My way. Like, Winnebago in his driveway that I stare at every single day. 
and I just want it to leave. <laughs> I want it to be gone, and it's there every single day. And that's how it is when I watch the Vikings football tape. I don't want it to be there anymore. I really don't, but it's still there, so I still have to look at it. Drew Samia is your Winnebago. That's my a, Winnebago. That is amazing. All right. Well, um, great stuff, uh, Jeremiah. I would love to hear some of those if people want to tweet them to me. And uh, we will – all right, so maybe potentially rant about the right guard again next week when we get together for Tuesday mar- morning left guard. Great stuff, man. Absolutely. Skull.